Section 8 of A Woman's Journey Round the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. A Woman's Journey Round the World by Ida Laura Pfeiffer. Section 8. Chapter 5. The Voyage Round Cape Horn. Departure from Rio Janeiro, Santos and St. Paulo, Circumnavigation of Cape Horn, The Straits of Magellan, Arrival in Valparaiso, 8th December 1846 to 2nd March 1847. When I paid £25 for my place in the fine English bark, John Renwick, Captain Bell, the latter promised me that he would be ready to sail on the 25th of November at the latest, and would stop at no intermediate port, but shape his course direct to Valparaiso. The first part of this promise I believed, because he assured me that every day he stopped cost him seven pounds, and the second because, as a general rule, I willingly believe every one, even ship captains. In both particulars, however, was I deceived, for it was not until the 8th of December that I received a notice to go on board that evening, and then for the first time the captain informed me that he must run into santos to lay in a stock of provisions which were there much cheaper than in rio janeiro that he also intended clearing out a cargo of coal and taking in another of sugar he did not tell me till we arrived in santos itself where he also assured me that all these different matters would not take him more than three or four days I took my leave of my friends and went on board in the evening. Count Birchtold and Messrs. Geiger and Rister accompanying me to the ship. Early in the morning of the ninth of December we weighed anchor, but the wind was so unfavourable that we were obliged to tack the whole way in order to gain the open sea, and it was not until about 10 a.m. that we lost sight of land. There were eight passengers besides myself, five Frenchmen, one Belgian, and two citizens of Milan. I looked upon the latter as half-countrymen of mine, and we were soon very good friends. It was the second time this year that the two Italians were making the voyage round Cape Horn. Their first had not been fortunate. They reached Cape Horn in winter, which in those cold southern latitude lasts from April till about November. Footnote in the southern hemisphere the seasons as regard the months are exactly the contrary to what they are in the northern for instance when it is winter on the one side of the equator it is summer on the other etc End of footnote. they were unable to circumnavigate the cape being driven back by violent contrary winds and storms against which they strove for fourteen weary days without making the least progress the crew now lost courage and affirmed that it would be advisable to turn back and wait for more favourable winds. The captain, however, was not of this opinion, and succeeded so well in working upon the pride of the crew that they once more engaged in their conflict with the elements. It was, however, for the last time, for the very same night a tremendous sea broke over the ship, tearing away all her upper works and sweeping the captain and six of the sailors overboard. The water poured in torrents into the cabins and drove every one from their berths. The bulwarks, boats, and binnacle were carried clean off, and the mainmast had to be cut away. 
the sailors then turned the ship about and after a long and dangerous voyage succeeded in bringing her dismasted as she was into rio janeiro this story was not very encouraging but the fine weather and our good ship relieved us of all anxiety with regard to the vessel we could not have chosen a better it had large comfortable cabins an exceedingly good-natured and obliging captain and a bill of fare which must have contented the most dainty palate every day we had roast or stewed fowls ducks or geese fresh mutton or pork eggs variously prepared plum pudding and tarts to all this were added side dishes of ham rice potatoes and other vegetables and for dessert dried fruit nuts almonds cheese etc there was also plenty of bread fresh baked every day and good wine we all unanimously acknowledged that we had never been so well treated or had so good a table in any sailing vessel before and we could therefore in this respect look forward to our voyage without any apprehension on the twelfth of december we hove in sight of the mountain ranges of santos and at nine o'clock the same evening we reached a bay which the captain took for that of the same name lighted torches were repeatedly held over the vessel's side to summon a pilot no pilot however made his appearance and we were therefore obliged to trust to chance and anchor at the mouth of the bay on the morning of the thirteenth a pilot came on board and astonished us with the intelligence that we had anchored before the wrong bay we had some trouble in working our way out and anchoring about noon in the right one a pretty little chateau-like building immediately attracted our attention we took it for some advanced building of the town and congratulated one another on having reached our temporary destination so quickly on approaching nearer however we could perceive no signs of the town and learned that the building was a small fort and that santos was situated in a second bay communicating with the first by a small arm of the sea unluckily the wind had by this time fallen and we were obliged to be at anchor all day and it was not until the fourteenth that a slight breeze sprang up and wafted us into port santos is most charmingly situated at the entrance of a large valley picturesque hills adorned with chapels and detached houses rise on each side and immediately beyond are considerable mountain ranges spreading in a semicircle round the valley while a lovely island forms a most beautiful foreground to the whole we had scarcely landed before the captain informed us that we must stop for at least five days the italians one of the frenchmen and myself determined that we would take advantage of this delay to make an excursion to st paulo the largest inland town of the brazils and about forty miles from santos the same evening we hired mules for which we paid five milrais ten shillings and tenpence each and set out upon our trip fifteenth of december early in the morning we armed ourselves with well-charged double-barrelled pistols having been alarmed by accounts of the maroon negroes about a hundred of whom were said to be at that time lurking in the mountains and to be so daring that they extended their inroads as far as the vicinity of santos itself footnote maroon negroes are those negroes who have run away from their masters they generally collect in large bands and retire into the recesses of the virgin forests whence however they often emerge to steal and plunder their depredations are not unfrequently accompanied by murder End of footnote. the first eight miles led through the valley to the lofty range of mountains which we had to cross 
the road was good and more frequented than any i had yet seen in the brazils handsome wooden bridges traverse the rivers vicente and cubatao one of these bridges is actually covered but then every one is charged a pretty high toll in one of the vendors at the foot of the mountain we fortified ourselves with some excellent pancakes laid in a stock of sugar canes the juice of which is excessively refreshing in the great heat and then proceeded to scale the serra three thousand four hundred feet high the road was inexorable full of holes pits and puddles in which our poor beasts often sank above their knees we had to skirt chasms and ravines with torrents rolling loudly beneath yet not visible to us on account of the thick underwood which grew over them some part of the way too lay through virgin forests which however were not nearly so beautiful or thick as some i had traversed on my excursion to the puris there were hardly any palm trees and the few there were reminded us from their thin stems and scanty foliage of those of a colder climate the prospect from the serra struck us all with astonishment the entire valley with its woods and prairies was spread far and wide before our sight as far as the bays the little detached huts being quite indistinguishable while only a part of the town and a few masts of ships were perceptible in the distance a turning in the road soon shut out this charming picture from our gaze we then left the serra and entered upon a woody uneven tract alternating with large level grass plots covered with low brushwood and innumerable molehills two feet high halfway from santos to san paulo is a place called rio grande the houses of which lie after the brazilian fashion so far apart that no one would suppose they had any connection with each other the owner of the mules used on this journey resides here and here likewise the money for their hire is paid if the traveller desires to proceed immediately he has fresh mules given him but should he prefer stopping the afternoon or night he finds very good victual and clean rooms for which he has nothing to pay as they are included in the five milrais ten shillings tenpence charged for the mules we snatched a hasty morsel or two and then hurried on in order to complete the second half of the road before sunset the plain became broader and broader the nearer we approached the town the beauty of the scenery falls off very much and for the first time since i left europe did i see fields and hills of sand the town itself situated upon a hill presents a tolerable appearance it contains about twenty two thousand inhabitants and is a place of considerable importance for the internal commerce of the country in spite of this however it has neither an inn nor any other place where strangers can alight after inquiring for a long time in vain for lodgings we were directed to a german and a frenchman with the remark that both received lodgers out of pure politeness we went first to the german who very bluntly cut us short by saying he had no room from him we proceeded to the frenchman who sent us to a portuguese and on visiting the latter we received the same answer we had obtained from the german we were now greatly embarrassed the more so because the wearisome nature of our journey had so fatigued the frenchman that he was hardly able any longer to sit upright in his saddle in this critical position i thought of the letter of recommendation that herr geiger had given me in rio janeiro for a german gentleman of the name of loskiel who had settled here i had intended not to deliver this letter until the next day 
but necessity knows no law and so i paid my visit the same evening he was kind enough to interest himself for us in the warmest manner imaginable he gave one of the gentlemen and myself lodgings in his own house and our two companions in that of a neighbour of his inviting all of us to dine at his table we now learned that in st paulo no one not even a hotel keeper will receive a stranger if he has not been provided with a letter of recommendation it is certainly a lucky thing for travellers that this strange custom is not prevalent everywhere sixteenth of december after having completely recovered ourselves from the fatigue of our yesterday's ride our first thought was to view the curiosities of the town we asked our hospitable host for information on this point but he merely shrugged his shoulders and said that he knew of no curiosities unless indeed we chose to look upon the botanical gardens in the light of one we went out therefore after breakfast and first of all viewed the town where we found the number of large and well-built houses was in comparison to the size of the two palaces greater than in rio janeiro although even here there was nothing like taste or peculiar architectural style the streets are tolerably wide but present an extraordinarily deserted appearance the universal silence being broken only by the insupportable creaking of the country people's carts these carts rest upon two wheels or rather two wooden discs which are often not even hooped with iron to keep them together the axle which is likewise of wood is never greased and thus causes the demoniacal kind of music to which i alluded a peculiarity of dress very remarkable in this hot climate is here prevalent all the men with the exception of the slaves wear large cloth cloaks one half of which they throw over their shoulder i even saw a great many women enveloped in long broadcloth capes in st paulo there is a high school those who study there and come from the country or the smaller towns are exposed to the inconvenience of being refused lodging under any one's roof they are obliged to hire and furnish houses for themselves and be their own housekeepers we visited several churches which possess very little worth looking at either inside or out and then concluded by proceeding to the botanical gardens which also contains no object of any interest with the exception of a plantation of chinese teas all our sightseeing did not occupy us more than a few hours and we could very conveniently have begun our journey back to santos the next morning but the frenchman who on account of the great fatigue he had suffered had not accompanied us in our walk begged us to put off our return for half a day longer and to arrange it in such a manner that we should pass the night in rio grande we willingly acceded to his wish and set out upon the afternoon of the seventeenth after thanking our kind host most cordially for his hospitable entertainment in rio grande we found an excellent supper convenient sleeping apartments and a good breakfast the next morning about twelve o'clock on the eighteenth of december we arrived safely in santos and the frenchman then confessed to us he had felt so fatigued on arriving in st paulo from his long ride that he was afraid of being seriously ill however he recovered himself completely in a few days but assured us that it would be some time before he again accompanied us on one of our trips the first question we put to the captain was when do you weigh anchor to which he very politely replied that as soon as he had cleared out two hundred tons of coal and shipped six thousand sacks of sugar he should be ready to set sail and in consequence of this we had to remain three whole weary weeks in santos 
we were still in santos when we celebrated new year's day eighteen forty seven and at last on the second of january we were lucky enough to bid the town adieu but did not proceed far for in the first bay the wind fell and did not spring up again till after midnight it was now sunday and no true englishman will set sail on a sunday we remained therefore lying at anchor the whole of the third of january looking with very melancholy feelings after two ships whose captains in spite of the holiness of the day had profited by a fresh breeze and sailed gaily past us on the same evening we saw a vessel which our captain affirmed was a slaver run into the bay it kept as far as possible from the fort and cast anchor at the most outward extremity of the bay as the night was clear and moonlight we walked late upon the deck when true enough we saw little boats laden with negroes pulling in shore an officer indeed came from the fort to inquire into the doings of this suspicious craft but the owner seemed to afford him a satisfactory account for he left the ship and the slaves continued during the whole night to be quietly and undisturbedly smuggled in as before on the morning of the fourth of january as we sailed past the vessel we beheld a great number of the poor creatures still standing upon the deck our captain inquired of the slave dealer how many slaves he had on board and we learned with astonishment that the number amounted to six hundred and seventy much has already been said and written upon this horrible trade it is everywhere execrated and looked upon as a blot on the human race and yet it still continues to flourish this day promised to turn out a very melancholy one in many respects we had hardly lost sight of the slaver before one of our own crew had nearly committed suicide the steward a young mulatto had contracted the bad habit of indulging too much in liquor the captain had often threatened to punish him severely but all to no purpose and this morning he was so intoxicated that the sailors were obliged to lay him in the corner of the foresail where he might sleep himself sober suddenly however he leapt up clambered onto the forepart of the ship and threw himself into the sea luckily it was almost a calm the water was quite still and we had hopes of saving him he soon reappeared at the side of the vessel and ropes were thrown him from every side the love of life was awakened in his breast and caused him to grasp involuntarily at the ropes but he had not strength enough to hold on he again sank and it was only after great exertion that the brave sailors succeeded in rescuing him from a watery grave hardly had he recovered his senses ere he endeavoured to throw himself in again exclaiming that he had no wish to live the man was raving mad and the captain was obliged to have him bound hand and foot and chained to the mast on the following day he was deprived of his office and degraded to the rank of subordinate to the new steward fifth of january mostly calms our cook caught to-day a fish three feet long and remarkable for the manner in which it changed colour when it came out of the water it was a bright yellow to which colour it owes the name of dorado at the expiration of one or two minutes the brilliant yellow changed into a light sky blue and after its death its belly again turned into a beautiful light yellow but the back was a brownish green it is reckoned a great delicacy but for my part i found its flesh rather dry on the ninth of january we were off the rio grande in the evening everything seemed to promise a violent storm the captain consulted his barometer every second almost 
and issued his orders according to its indications black clouds now began to drive towards us and the wind increased to such a pitch that the captain had all the hatchways carefully fastened down and the crew ready to reef the sails at a moment's notice at a little past eight the hurricane broke forth flash after flash of lightning darted across the horizon from every side and lighted the sailors in their work the agitated waves being illuminated with the most dazzling brilliancy the majestic rolling of the thunder drowned the captain's voice and the white foaming billows broke with such terrific force over the deck that it appeared as if they would carry everything with them into the depths of the ocean unless there had been ropes stretched on either side of the ship for the sailors to catch hold of the latter would most certainly have been washed away such a storm as this affords much food for reflection you are alone upon the boundless ocean far from all human help and feel more than ever that your life depends upon the almighty alone the man who in such a dreadful and solemn moment can still believe there is no god must indeed be irretrievably struck with mental blindness a feeling of tranquil joy always comes over me during such great convulsions of nature i very often have myself bound near the binnacle and let the tremendous waves break over me in order to absorb as it were as much of the spectacle before me as possible on no occasion did i ever feel alarmed but always confident and resigned at the expiration of four hours the storm had worn itself out and was succeeded by a perfect calm on the tenth of january we caught sight of sea turtles and a whale the latter was only a young one about forty feet long eleventh of january we were now off the rio plata and found the temperature very perceptibly cooler footnote the rio plata is one of the largest rivers in brazil End of footnote. up to the present time we had seen no signs of sea tangle or molluscae but during the night we beheld some molluscae for the first time shining like stars at a great depth below the surface of the water in these latitudes the constellation of the southern cross keeps increasing in brilliancy and beauty though it is far from being as wonderful as it is said to be the stars in it four in number and disposed somewhat to the following manner are it is true large and splendid but they did not excite either in myself or any other person of our company much more admiration than the other constellations as a general rule many travellers exaggerate a great deal on the one hand they often describe things which they have never seen themselves and only know from hearsay and on the other they adorn what they really have seen with a little too much imagination sixteenth of january in thirty seven degrees south latitude we fell in with a strong current running from south to north and having a yellow streak down the middle of it the captain said that this streak was caused by a shoal of small fishes i had some water drawn up in a bucket and really found a few dozen living creatures which in my opinion however belonged rather to some species of molluscae than to any kind of fish they were about three-quarters of an inch long and as transparent as the most delicate water bubbles they were marked with white and yellow spots on the forepart of their bodies and had a few feelers underneath in the night of the twentieth to twenty-first of january we were overtaken by a very violent storm which so damaged our mainmast that the captain determined on running into some haven on the first opportunity and putting in a new one 
for the present the old one was made fast with cables iron chains and braces in forty three degrees north latitude we saw the first sea tangle the temperature had by this time very perceptibly decreased in warmth the glass often standing no higher than fifty nine degrees or sixty three degrees fahrenheit twenty third january we were so near patagonia that we could easily make out the outline of the coast twenty sixth january we still kept near the land in fifty degrees south latitude we saw the chalky mountains of patagonia today we passed the falkland islands which stretched from fifty one degrees to fifty two degrees south latitude we did not see them however as we kept as near the land as possible in order not to miss the straits of magellan for some days the captain had been studying an english book which in his opinion clearly proved that the passage through the straits of magellan was far less dangerous and far shorter than that round cape horn i asked him how it happened that other sailors knew nothing of this valuable book and why all vessels bound for the western coast of america went round cape horn he could give me no other answer than that the book was very dear and that that was the reason no one bought it footnote other captains assured me that it was only possible for men of war to pass through the straits of magellan as the passage requires a great number of hands every evening the ship must be brought to an anchor and the crew must constantly be in readiness to trim or reef the sails on account of the various winds which are always springing up End of footnote. to me this bold idea of the captain's was extremely welcome I already pictured in my mind the six feet tall Patagonians putting off to us in their boats. I saw myself taking their muscles, plants, ornaments, and weapons in exchange for coloured ribbons and handkerchiefs, while, to render my satisfaction complete, the captain said that he should land at Port Famine, a Patagonian haven, to supply the injured portion of our mainmast. How thankful was I, in secret, for the storm for having reduced our ship to her present condition. Too soon, however, were all my flattering hopes and dreams dispelled. On the 27th of January, the latitude and longitude were taken, and it was then found that the Straits of Magellan were 27 minutes, or nautical miles, behind us. But as we were becalmed, the captain promised, in case of a favourable wind should spring up, to endeavour to return as far as the Straits. I placed no more confidence in this promise, and I was right about noon a scarcely perceptible breeze sprang up which the captain in high spirits pronounced a favourable one for rounding cape horn if he had ever really intended to pass through the straits he would only have had to cruise about for a few hours for the wind soon changed and blew directly in a desired direction twenty eighth january we were constantly so near terra del fuego that we could make out every bush with the naked eye we could have reached the land in one hour without retarding our voyage in the least for we were frequently becalmed but the captain would not consent as the wind might spring up every instant the coast appeared rather steep but not high the foreground was composed of meagre pasture alternating with tracts of sand and in the background were ranges of woody hills beyond which rose snow-covered mountains on the whole the country struck me as being more inhabitable than the island of iceland which i had visited a year and a half previously the temperature too must here be higher as even at sea we have fifty four degrees five minutes and fifty nine degrees fahrenheit i saw three kinds of sea tangle 
but could only obtain a specimen of one resembling that which i had seen in forty four degrees south latitude the second kind was not very different but it was only the third that had pointed leaves several of which together formed a sort of fan several feet long and broad on the thirtieth of january we passed very near the staten islands lying between fifty six degrees and fifty seven degrees south latitude they are composed of bare high mountains and separated from terra del fuego by an arm of the sea called la mer only seven miles long and about the same distance across the captain told us seamanlike that on one occasion of his sailing through these straits his ship had got into a strong current and regularly danced turning round during the passage at least a thousand times i had already lost a great deal of confidence in the captain's tales but i kept my eyes steadily fixed upon a hamburg brig that happened to be sailing ahead to see whether she would dance but neither she nor our own bark was so obliging neither vessels turned even once and the only circumstance worthy of remark was the heaving and foaming of the waves in the strait while at both ends the sea lay majestically calm before our eyes we had passed the strait in an hour and i took the liberty of asking the captain why our ship had not danced to which he replied it was because we had both wind and current with us it is perhaps possible that under other circumstances the vessel might have turned round once or twice but i strongly doubt its doing so a thousand times this was however a favourite number with our worthy captain one of the gentlemen once asked him some question about the first london hotels and was told that it was impossible to remember their names as there were above a thousand of the first class near the strait le Maire begins in the opinion of the seamen the dangerous part of the passage round cape horn and ends off the straits of magellan immediately we entered it we were greeted with two most violent bursts of wind each of which lasted about half an hour they came from the neighbouring icy chasms in the mountains of terra del fuego and split two sails and broke the great studding sail-yard although the sailors were numerous and quick the distance from the end of the strait le Maire to the extreme point of the cape is calculated to be not more than seventy miles and yet this trifling passage cost us three days at last on the third of february we were fortunate enough to reach the southernmost point of america so dreaded by all mariners bare pointed mountains one of which looks like a crater that has fallen in form the extremity of the mighty mountain chain and a magnificent group of colossal black rocks basalt of all shapes and sizes are scattered at some distance in advance and are separated only by a small arm of the sea the extreme point of cape horn is six hundred feet high at this spot according to our works in geography the atlantic ocean changes its name and assumes that of the pacific sailors however do not give it the latter designation before reaching the straits of magellan as up to this point the sea is continually stormy and agitated as we learned to our cost being driven by violent storms as far back as sixty degrees south latitude besides this we lost our topmast which was broken off and which in spite of the heavy sea had to be replaced the vessel meanwhile being so tossed about that we were often unable to take our meals at the table but were obliged to squat down upon the ground and hold our plates in our hands on one of these fine days the steward stumbled with the coffee-pot and deluged me with its burning contents luckily only a small portion fell upon my hands 
so that the accident was not a very serious one. After battling for fourteen days with winds and waves, with rain and cold, we at last arrived off the western entrance to the Straits of Magellan, having accomplished the most dangerous portion of our voyage. Footnote. The glass sank in the daytime to 48 degrees and 50 degrees, and at night to 28 degrees below zero. End of footnote. During these 14 days we saw very few whales or albatrosses, and not one iceberg. We thought that we should now quietly pursue our way along the placid sea, trusting confidently in its peaceful name. For three whole days we had nothing to complain of, but in the night of the 19th to the 20th of February we were overtaken by a storm worthy of the Atlantic itself, which lasted for nearly 24 hours and cost us four sails. We suffered most damage from the tremendous waves, which broke with such fury over the ship that they tore up one of the planks on the deck and let the water into the cargo of sugar. The deck itself was like a lake, and the portholes had to be opened in order to get rid of the water more quickly. The water leaked in the hold at the rate of two inches an hour. We could not light any fire, and were obliged to content ourselves with bread and cheese and raw ham, which we with great difficulty conveyed to our mouth as we sat upon the ground. The last cask of lamp oil, too, fell a sacrifice to this storm, having been torn from its fastenings and broken into pieces. The captain was very apprehensive of not having enough oil to light the compass till we arrived at Valparaiso, and all the lamps on the ship were, in consequence, replaced by candles, and the small quantity of oil remaining kept for the compass. In spite of all these annoyances, we kept up our spirits, and even, during the storm, we could scarcely refrain from laughing at the comical positions we all fell into whenever we attempted to stand up. The remainder of the voyage to Valparaiso was calm, but excessively disagreeable. The captain wished to present a magnificent appearance on arriving, so that the good people might believe that wind and waves could not injure his fine vessel. He had the whole ship painted from top to bottom with oil colours. Even the little doors in the cabins were not spared this infliction. Not content with creating a most horrid disturbance over our heads, the carpenter invaded even our cabins, filling all our things with sawdust and dirt, so that we poor passengers had not a dry or quiet place of refuge in the whole ship. Just as much as we had been pleased with Captain Bell's politeness during all the previous part of the voyage, we were indignant at his behaviour during the last five or six days. But we could offer no resistance, for the captain is an autocrat on board his own ship, knowing neither a constitution nor any other limit to his despotic power. At six o'clock in the evening of the 2nd of March, we ran into the port of Valparaiso. End of section 8